father, husband, defensive coordinating coach for the BC Lions, Mark Washington. Um, it, it's at this point when, when Derwin, our, our lead pastor, would, would normally ask Mark a, a lot of questions. Um, and and uh, I don't know if it was just to, to um, grow you as a person, Mark, yes. that a lot you of decided, a lot of you decided involved, to, yes. to have me, the person on staff who knows the least about football, ask you some questions. Wow. Um, wow. And it was, it was confirmed to me, as I suspected, that football is the one with the, with the point and pointy ends. Yes. yes. Earlier. Yes. So, um, so we're pa I'm past that Yes, now. that's a very big step to take. Oh, yes. Take. yes. So I, I, like I, I told you in the first service, I did check Google and um, discovered a little bit about what it is that they do in defense. Yes. Um, and... and, and so, so you're responsible for helping other people to hit people. Yes. That's yes. a fair summary of what I it is am that a, you do. I'm a teacher of hitting techniques. That's, that's good to know. Yes. Um, so as a... As a... Um, as a... I'm running out of yeah, real exactly, estate. Yeah, exactly. As, as, a, as a, a player of football... Um, do you remember what it is that was your, your first encounter with football? Like, do you remember the first time holding a football in your arms? I don't remember the particular first time I held a ball. Um, I'm from a football family. Uh, I've been watching football since I was brand new. I mean, brand new. My, they told me that, I don't know if this is true or not, but my parents said that my first word was touchdown. And I guess they were watching the game and they scored a touchdown. Everybody jumped up and screamed touchdown. And then, then I said touchdown. So it's in the blood, man. Is, so I got to do it. Is that a good it. thing for no, a defensive that's a good, coordinator? No, that's a great, well, it was a defensive touchdown. So it was okay. Oh, okay. Okay, good for you. Man. I don't know. I just made that up. Maybe it was. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, nonetheless, you know, football is, you know, I don't remember the first time I, I actually stepped on the field and carried the ball. I started playing flag football first. And I played that for one year, and it was, it was cool. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to move on to more advanced things. You know, I was ready to start hitting. And so uh, I started hitting. I think when I was eight years old, I started playing. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. um, at what point did you realize that, unlike most people, uh, football was going to be more than just a hobby for you? It wasn't going to be just something you do in your spare time. But You know what, Lincoln? It came late. Um, I've been playing football, like I said, since I was eight years old. And it was, it was always a part of my life. It wasn't the thing. You know, mm -hmm. my parents always preached school, school, school. You better be, you know, keep your grades up. You're going to, you got to do something in school. And football was just something that I did on the side. You know, and then when I got to high school and then sort of discovered that I was actually pretty good at this football thing, that I could actually use it to take me places. So I went, went and, you know, got a full scholarship to Rutgers University for, for football, played there, studied engineering, got my degree. But football was just something still on the side. Until um, once I graduated, and then all along and behold, I got a call and they said, all right, you know, can you, you want to continue your football career? I, started, I said, okay, I can do this for a few more years, and then I can start being an engineer. I'm still here, you know what I'm saying? And, so, and that was a long time ago. So. All right. 
Maybe I can set up some engineering in interviews for you at some point. I think we have some engineering people around here. Well, that's great, but... Oh, Mary uh, Jane, right there. Yeah. Yes. Right. Well, good. Well, that's why we... Yeah, you know. But I'm in football right now, so I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm doing this, so... Yeah. Um, so I, I was asking you before, what do you, what do you make of our prospects this year for the, 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 the Grey Cup? Through much prayer, he said, Grey Cup, amen. This morning, he was said, he said, uh, the, the trophy thing. He didn't know. I was like, oh, yeah. We actually look good. We're in good position. Um, we, we lost a few guys uh, to NFL. We lost a few guys to free agency, but we also replaced them with some very good players. And uh, I just got back uh, home last night from the CFL Combine, so there's a lot of young players looking to get drafted. So we're going to put ourselves in a good position to, to go win the Grey Cup. Um, and, and, you know, you work in sports, mm -hmm. and I work in the arts, and so looking for sort of common ground between us, and a question I could ask. Okay. Okay, I'm with you, yeah. I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, of all the football players of all time, best end zone dancer. I'm, I'm reaching you try, out. You're I'm reaching, reaching out. I appreciate the reaching out, brother. I mean, you're right. <laughs> the, best, <laughs> what? Um, the best end zone dancer. Well, f first of all, there's a problem. Since I'm a defensive coach, if they're scoring touchdowns, I'm, I don't care what kind of dance they're doing. I'm, a, I'm a pretty upset at that point, you know, that we gave up a touchdown, unless one of our guys is scoring a touchdown. But I can say this. And maybe you guys may remember, maybe the older guys will remember. Um, there was a guy by the name of Lynn Swan who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers back during the 70s and the 80s. He, he's a Hall of Fame receiver. He, he's 6'3", big, tall guy, big, but he was sort of slender. And he actually took ballet lessons. He actually was a, how do you, is it a male ballerina? Do you say that? Ballet dancer. Yeah, you just say ballet. Yeah, ballet dancer. Yeah, you don't say ballerina. That's too. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he was he he was a male ballet dancer, but that helped him with his flexibility. And his last name was Swan. Nice. You got to be a something, right? You know. So and he was he's a Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest receivers of all time. And he took ballet. It helped him in football. So okay, we're good. we're we're connected now. That's right. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm feeling it. Yes. We're, okay. Good. Good. Um, are you ready for the lightning round? Oh. Dogs or cats? Neither one. I don't like either one, man. Rice or pasta? Rice. Star With Wars. Peas or... in it, rice and peas. My wife makes this coconut rice. No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Lightning man. round. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Uh, That's right. Yeah, I'm from the 70s, man. <laughs> you know? I'm from the night 70s. Night out or night in? Night out. Soccer or rugby? Rugby, man. Even though, even though rugby, you guys are a little psycho with no equipment and stuff like that. Chocolate or berries? Chocolate with berries. Action or comedy? Comedy. Opera or ballet? Okay. Oh, no, no, um, no, no, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer that. It's just the lightning. I'll go opera. Okay, good for yes. you. All right, um, so coaching, mm -hmm. you're a coach now. Um, what is it that you like about coaching? Oh, man, everything about it. I, I love being able to, you know, I love seeing men mature and get, get better, whether they're better football players, but 
and more importantly, if they become better men, and hopefully they become men of God, that's, that's my intent, you know, is to help mature a guy. In a lot of cases, they come up here into Canada, and they don't know hardly anything about Canada. They don't know anything. You know, they don't know much about football, and you see them growing. You see them grow, become, you know, better men, better husbands, better fathers, better football players. When you see that, I mean, that's it for me. And I love winning championships. That's, that's right. it. That's it, man. All right. You know. So as a coach, then, for you, surely um, coming up in football, coming up in life, there were coaches, there were mentors that helped you along the way. Um, any sort of standouts for you? A few. Um, I remember my first football coach. Uh, his name was Phil Terry. Um, he's such an important figure in my life. Well, was because he's passed away now. But um, my first, I want to say it was my first practice or our first scrimmage against another team. A guy tackled me and I bruised my ribs. I was eight, so I was just a little guy. I bruised my ribs and my mother came running out on the field and she was like, that's it, no more. He's never playing again. You know, you know how mothers do, you know. You know, my, I know my mother, I don't know about y'all mother, but she ran out on the field and said, no, you're never playing again. And he begged my mother, he's like, please. And he went out and he bought me even rib pads and they looked like, like a sheet of paper, they were so little, but it covered up my ribs and he begged my mother, please, Mrs. Washington, let your son play. And he convinced her, she allowed me to play. There you go. Thank you, Phil Terry, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Um, I, and I, as, as much as you care about football and love football and stuff like that, I know you wanna get on to talking about Jesus, which is what you're hey, really passionate about. Let's do that, about. let's do some Jesus, right? yes. So yes. let me just pray for you. Yes, sir. Lord, um, thank you for Mark. Thank you for the ways that you have gifted him on the field and off the field. And I pray now that you would fill his mind and fill his heart and fill his mouth, uh, that you might speak to him and speak through him to the rest of us, to the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. How y'all doing today? Y'all good? Amen. So Lincoln knows a little bit more about football today than he did yesterday. <laughs> small steps, bro, small steps. We'll start, we'll start. Baby steps, we'll baby steps. Well, um, thank you guys for this opportunity. Um, I'm gonna drink a lot of water today. I feel a little dehydrated, but we'll fight through, we'll make it, you know. Um, but thank you for the opportunity to come. Uh, I see what happened. Uh, Pastor Duran called me a few months ago, said, Mark, you know, Y'all know I come like every year, right? That's, and y'all still let me come, so praise God. You know, um, and he said, why don't you come? I said, yeah, no problem. We'll set up the date. We set up the date. We're fine. And I'm like, all right, good. We're going to have fun. We're going to do our thing, you know. And then he called me a couple of weeks ago and said, oh, yeah, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, by the way, I won't be there. I said, you set me up, man, you know. <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, he's off. Uh, where is he again? Italy. Italy, that's right, he's in Italy. That must be nice, man. Y'all must really treat him well. Y'all seen your pastor to Italy. I would have sent him to Whistler or something like that, you know, someplace, I'd send him up the street. But praise God, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm here. And I thank you for this opportunity. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can uh, open your word and see what's in it. And Lord God, speak to our hearts, speak to us directly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, a few weeks ago, guys, um, some of you guys were in town. Some of you guys may have been there. Do you guys remember the Festival of Hope that was down at, uh, at uh, Rogers Arena the other week? 
you know, they had all kind of controversy around the thing and people were protesting it and blah, 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 blah. I, I'm not worried about that. That's not what we want to focus on today. What excited me about the Festival of Hope were the hundreds of people who came and gave their life to Jesus Christ. Were y'all there? Did y'all see that? It, it, was, it was incredible. It was just people were filing down, coming down from the stands and just, I mean, on that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, the place was packed. I mean, it was like a hockey game in there, you know, and then people were coming down and just saying, yes, Lord, I'm yours. And that reminded me of exactly what we're here for. And the fact that God is calling you. God is calling you. God is calling you. God is calling all of us. There is a call on your life, a specific call on your life that is just for you. And then there's another call that's just for you. And then there's another one just for you. And I can go on and on, but that would probably take too long. But there's a, there are specific calls on your life that you have to answer. You have to answer this call. You can't leave it to your parents. You can't leave it to some brother. You can't leave it to a sister. You got to answer that call for yourself. And God has an assignment or a mission for your life. And we got to get it done. Amen to that. Amen. Amen. Those people who responded to the call, who responded to Jesus Christ that night in the Festival of Hope, they're starting to answer their call. And God has called them out of darkness into the light, just like he has called us out of darkness into his light. And so there's a verse that we all use that, you know, we call it the Great Commission. And it's when Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he goes, right before he leaves. And he says this, he says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. I look into this crowd and I see a lot of different nations in here. I see, I do, and this is beautiful to see this. This isn't a white church. This isn't a black church. This is just, it's, it's a mix up in here. All nations. And that's what it should look like. This is beautiful. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our job, our, our, our mission as Christians is to make disciples of all nations. But within that big scope, within that big call, within that big mission, there's a mission specifically for you. And your call, your mission will add to that big picture. All right, I'll put it in football terms. All right. You get it now. You're like an expert now. I know now. <laughs> He's like a coach. You want to hang with me? We can go do football. All right. My objective, you know, our objective as a football team is to win. That's like the big goal. Win. But you just don't wake up and win. There's a job. Now, if you're a quarterback, you have a job to do. If you're a running back, you have a job to do. If you're an offensive lineman, you have a job to do. If you're a defensive lineman, a defensive back, a linebacker, we all have specific jobs, specific things that God has called us to do, specific missions God has given to us so that you must accomplish that so that we could win the game, the big call. And when you do it, we succeed. When you don't do it, we don't succeed. Y'all hear that? And as a football player, if you continually not meet your mission, you will be an unemployed football player. You understand? If you don't meet your mission, 
Maybe you fail once. Okay, all right, then I just got to teach you better. And I teach you better, and you fail again and again and again. Guess what? Eventually, I'm like, man, we need to have a conversation and bring your playbook. And then, as we say, aisle or window. That means we send them home on a plane. Do you want an aisle or a window? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But there's a call that you have. And we have a call, and it's to make disciples of all the nations. The question that you have today, as we say God is calling you, what has God called you to do? Specifically, what has God called you to do? What is your calling? What is the vision that God has for your life? I pray that we will all know that. I know what God has called me to do. I remember this. God, I could hear it audibly. God said to you, Mark, he said, Mark, you are to be an impactor and an influencer of men, particularly young men. And by his grace, he gave me the best job in the world to do it. I am a football coach. Who do I deal with all day? Young men. But I know what my calling is. I know, what I, I know what I'm to do. You understand? Now, I read this verse a, a while ago, and, it, and it, it changed my mind. It changed my thinking when it comes to my calling and what I'm to do as a Christian. And it was this. It says, go ahead, bro. It says this. It's in Matthew chapter 16. Let's read this, all right? And we've all read this. I'm sure Duran has probably taught on it or whatever. You know, it's, it's, you know, if you haven't learned about it, great, whatever. You'll get it soon. And it says this. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, we get all into the, the theology and what does it mean, you know, you're Peter, you're this, and upon this rock, and what's all that? Let's not worry about that right now. It's the revelation, by the way, that the rock that you're built on. But the thing that we want to focus on is that underlying part. The gates of hell will not overcome it. Let me tell you all something. Do you know that gates are a defense mechanism? You know that? Gates are a defense mechanism. Gates are meant to keep those outside, outside, so that they don't come inside. And gates are meant to keep those inside, inside, so they don't go out. If you have a dog with a backyard, what do you also have? A gate, so that you want to keep your dog where? In the backyard. You don't want your dog running all around the neighborhood, correct? You also have a gate so that you can keep people out. You don't want just strangers walking in your backyard like, hey, using your barbecue, like, what's up? You want to keep them out, and you want to keep your dog in. But when you look at this statement, look at the scripture, it says the gates of hell. So what does that mean? That means that there are those in hell, stuck in hell, who Satan wants to keep in hell. And there are those, us, outside, who he wants to keep out. Because it's our responsibility as Christians to actually bust down the gates of hell, go in and rescue those who are caught. You, have you ever seen? It's the gates of hell. Gate, heaven, I mean, hell is trying to keep us out. Hell is on the defensive. So if hell is on the defensive, we must be on the offensive. We must be on the attack. Because, see, we have to go in and rescue those who are in hell. 
And y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. All right, let me explain what I mean by that. We have this, we've been told a lie. We've been fed a lie. We believe, you know, whether you know Christ or not, that we stand at a fork in the road. I can go right or left. We believe that we stand at a fork in the road and I can either choose Christ or I could not choose Christ. And that choice is up to me. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in John 3, it says this, for, the, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in the son is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. My brothers and my sisters, I'm here to tell you, we are not at a fork in the road. If you don't believe in the Son of God, you stand condemned already. You don't have a choice. Oh, I'm going to choose this or I'm not going to choose. No, you're already condemned. You're already behind the gates of hell. You're already condemned. You're dead. The Bible says before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But we've, made, we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. If you, are, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, we are dead. We are already behind the gates of hell. But yet, that was me, that was you. And yet somebody shared the gospel with you, did they not? And brought you home. Somebody bust down the gates of hell and rescued and brought you out, bro. Somebody did that for you. I don't know when. Somebody did it for me. Do y'all get what I'm saying? Y'all get this? This is crucial because it changes the way you see things. You walk around the city, you walk around your neighborhoods, and you don't just see people. You see people either behind the gates or out in front of the gates. You see people who need rescuing, and you have to rescue. You have it. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? We are to be on the offensive and if somebody don't like you, oh, whoa, oh, don't worry about it. I didn't, when the person was sharing the gospel with me, they just kept doing it, kept doing it. And I was like, man, would you please shut up? But God was patient with me. That person was patient with me. And they just continued to bang on the door. They kept continuing to banging on the, on the gates of hell until, the, until they just cracked open and I came out. We have to do that. Where's Jesse? Jesse, you going to school? That's you? You got to do that when you go to New York. People need Jesus in New York too, you know. You understand? People need Jesus everywhere. The gates of hell are there too. Go break down, break them down, and let's bring people out. Amen? Y'all good with that? Do y'all understand that? All right. So let's get going. Let's get, let's, let's get started. Because, see, the call that we have, whether God calls you to be a football coach, whether God calls you to be a preacher, whether God calls you to be a musician, whether God calls you to be an accountant, whatever God calls you to do, whatever it is, I'm not even talking about job here. I'm not talking about your job that you're studying for. I'm talking about what God has called you to do. There are common characteristics that God has for all of, the, for all of us when it comes to our call. And we're going to study those today. All right? That's cool? Without call. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever God has called me to do, God will empower you to do it. God will educate you. God will equip you and God will energize you. All right. That's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at this through one of the most famous calls of all time. When God called Moses. Do you all know that story in Exodus 3? 
In Exodus 3, Moses was, was, was a shepherd, and he was tending flock, and he was out in the desert and just doing his thing, yada, 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 just, I mean, whatever shepherds do, I don't really know, but they just do stuff. And they, you know, they're in the desert, and he's walking around taking care of the sheep, and all of a sudden he sees what? He sees what? A bush on fire, but the bush wasn't burning up. It was just on fire. And he said, whoa, check this out. This is crazy. I will go and check this thing, you know, see this strange sight, as it says in the Bible. I always think Charlton Heston when he does that, you know. I will go and see this strange sight. You know what I mean? He went over, checked it out, and it was all right. And this is the exchange. Because God was then calling Moses to do something extraordinary. Just like God called me, just like God calls you, God called Moses. And he said this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians to bring them up out to that, bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and the Perizzites and the Madabites and all the mites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring, the to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? That's the call of Moses. But I did something in this verse. I did something in this verse, and I want you all to see it. Every time God, God said the word I or me or something like that, I put it in red. All right? And it says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cry. Verse 8 says, so I have come down to rescue them. In verse 9 it says, and now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians. And then he says in verse 10, so now go, I am sending you. But what happens in verse 11? Can somebody read verse 11? Uh, college lady, can you read verse 11 for us? Do you see this shift? Do you see the problem? Do you see the shift? For seven, eight, nine, and ten, God is saying, who's doing the rescuing? Who's doing the rescuing? Come on, y'all, wake up, wake up. It's, it's 11 o'clock. You already had time to wake up and drink your coffee. Wake up. God said, I'm doing the rescuing. Then what did Moses say? Who am I? You see, Moses missed it. He missed the point. He missed the boat. He missed it. God said, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And Moses said, no, I do it. And he's like, no, you can't do it. I do it. The call that God has for you, yes, you can't do it. That's why God must empower you to do it. He just needs a man, a woman, a person ready to be used by him. He needs a person that realizes on their own strength, they can do nothing. Moses was right. Yes, he can't do it. He can't. But with God, he can do it. It's the exact same thing with you and me. We've been empowered by God to do something great for the kingdom of God. And we're sitting here saying, but God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. No more excuses because it's not about you. It's not about you, Jess. It's not about you. It's about God and what he's going to do through you. Don't think it's about you. You think it's about you, you will fail. 
you think it's about God and you know it's God, you will succeed greatly. That's for all of y'all. That's for all of us. It is God who empowers you. Link, you can play almost every instrument up here. I know you can. But God is the one empowering you to do what you do. Always. It's not you. It's not you. Don't ever think it's you. If you think it's you, then you walk around strutting your stuff. And you will fall. And you will fall bad. Do y'all get that? Y'all understand that? So when God calls you, understand it's not about you. It's about him. Think about this. Think about this. When we talk about the call, <coughs> not only does God call you, not only does God, you know, you know uh, uh, not only does he empower you, now he, it's time for him to educate you. It's time for him to educate you. Now, this is what I mean by educate. The God we serve is a God of detail. A God of detail, specific details. It freaked me out when I learned about the rotation of the earth and the angle at which the earth sits. Is it 23 degrees? For all y'all students, y'all should know. You should know that, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's if it, were, if it was 24, you know, the earth would burn up. If it was 25, the earth would freeze. It's at 23 degrees. The God we serve is a God of detail. I mean, down to the millimeter. So when it comes to your call, God will educate you with detail. The God we serve is a God who gives clear directives, clear black and white directives. All right, let me give you an example. I'm a football coach, all right? I tell my players, I have to give my players clear directives, all right? It has to be black and white for them. Not because they're dumb. No, 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 not at all. These guys are smart. But because it needs to be black and white, because when they step on the field, there's now an opposition. Somebody who's just as skilled, somebody who's paid just as much as they do to hit him and punch them in the face. And so you better be black and white. You better know what you're doing. You better have your gun ready, finger on the trigger, ready to pull it. Because if you're sitting there with gray in your mind, you're sitting there thinking like, well, should I do this? Should I do that? Pow! By the time you figure it out, you get hit. When you're a soldier, soldiers have clear directives. This is what the enemy looks like. This is how we're going to take him out. He doesn't have time to sit up here and be like, well, should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Hmm. He knows. Too late. Clear directives, clear directives, clear directives. So God educates you that way, clearly. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you guys to do. You understand? Y'all get that? I get an example. I'll show you an example. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angels is speaking to, to, to Joseph. I'm talking about the, the birth of Christ. And he says this. She will bear a son, and you, will, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means what? The Lord saves. See how clear God is? Jesus, this is your job. This is your mission. Matter of fact, I want you to be so clear on your mission, I'm going to name you your mission. So every time somebody calls your name, it reminds you of your mission. Every time Jesus took a math test in school, 
and he wrote on the top of his page, Jesus. He was like, I know what I'm doing. Every time he played hide and seek or tag or whatever with his buddies, and his buddies were yelling, Jesus, come here, Jesus, come here. Jesus, be on my team. Jesus, be on my team, because if you're on my team, we'll win. (laughs) Come on, you know Jesus was good at games, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. People yelling, Jesus, it's always a steady reminder of what? What is he here to do? To save people from their sin. You see how clear God is? Jesus had no, it was no gray area in Jesus' life. He knew exactly what he was to do. Clearly, I am to do this. Now, here's the cool part. He shared that, that God shared that information with his mom and daddy. Because it was their job to get him to that point. Mom and daddy. Your sons and your daughters have calling on their life. There's a call on my kid's life. And it's our job as parents to get them there. Y'all see that? Then when they become of age, like you, then you take it over yourself. But I got to get them there. Y'all see what I'm talking about? That's our calling. That's what it's to be done. I'm sure your people did a good job with you because you understand what you were doing. You got to get it done. Let's go. They didn't call you Jesus. They call you Jesse, but it's all good. (laughs) Real close. Couple letters here and there. You in there. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the education, the God of detail that we serve. I want to make sure we don't miss this, all right? In Exodus 3, I'll tell you what. I pray that in this church that we as Christians stop being lazy Bible readers, that we will not rush through the Word of God, but that we will sit down and meditate on God's word, allow the spirit to tell you what you need to hear and what you need to see. Because we are appearing, when we read the word of God, we take it for granted, but we are actually looking into the mind of God here. God is revealing himself to us. We think, you know, we get these uh, speakers that come from out of town and we're gonna sh- I'm going to share you 12 real estate secrets. And the place is packed. Because they want to know what this guy's thinking. Man, forget him. This is God we're talking about here. We got God is like, let me share with you the secrets that I have. We should get excited about this. Don't be lazy Bible readers. So it starts with the word therefore. As soon as you read the, the, the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is, what is it therefore? Therefore, what is it therefore? Understand one thing. The word therefore is a conclusionary word. It's a conclusionary statement. In other words, a lot of things have been said above the word therefore. A lot of arguments have gone back and forth, whatever, whatever it is. Things have been said, and now they're coming down to a conclusion. Therefore, always after the word therefore, it will be followed by some type of action. Because you've thought things out, God has thought things out, you've worked it out, you've come to a conclusion. Therefore, it's time for you to do what? Go. Y'all prayed over those little cards, right? Therefore, it's time to hand them out, and it's time for you guys to do what? Go. Hand them out. Y'all see that, right? All right, so let's look at this. It says, therefore... What was that there for? Why is it there for? God had been hearing the cries of his people. He had been hearing the cries of his people. 
and he says, now, therefore, it's time to take action. Y'all get that? Therefore, since I've heard the cries of my people, he says what? Come now. What do you mean come now? Come now. Don't come once, hey, once I graduate from RTI, I'm good. Or RIT. Yeah. Once I graduate, then I can go. No, it's not time to go. God said come now. So when you go over there, now. Begin to share now. God is calling you now. Don't wait till you graduate. Come now. Well, wait till, uh, you know, I got a baby, I'm going to have a baby. No, no, now. Oh, I got to buy my first condo, and after I get that, now. Oh, no, I got to get my first job. No, now. I got to wait till I graduate from high school. No, now. Well, we just retired. You know, we've been working for 40 years. Now it's time to chill. Nope. Now. Y'all see that? This is specific, y'all. This is right here in black and white. Come now, he told Moses. Then he says this. I will send. I will send you. Who's doing the empowering? God. It's Moses? Who's doing the empowering? God. He just wanted to remind him of that. I will send you. Then what else does he say? I am sending you to who? <coughs> who is he sending them to? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. God is specific. Go see Pharaoh. Don't go see Vice Pharaoh. <laughs> Don't go see the Secretary of State. Don't go see the Minister of Defense or whatever. No, he said go see Pharaoh. Y'all get that, right? Specific. Go see the top dog. Don't mess around with the vice. Vice can't do nothing. Don't mess around with the secretary of this and the minister of that. He can't do nothing. Go see the king. See, we serve a God who's specific. You ever get into a situation, Skytrain, bus, Tim Hortons, whatever, I don't know, and God says, sit right here. God, I don't want to sit here. I want to sit at the back. These chairs are always open, by the way. What's up with that? You know, the word is more powerful here, right? You know, you, y'all get the diluted word back there. This is strong right here. You know what I'm saying? But God, the God we serve is so specific. He says, sit here. Go talk to that person. Why does he say that? Because he's been hearing the cries of that person. And now he has sent you. Just like he had heard the cries of Israel and he had sent Moses to go address the cries of the people. You sit here, lo and behold, two minutes later, somebody sits beside you and God says, talk to them. And, that, you know, and they, you know, we'll do that first thing that people say, man, it's such a coincidence that I sat here. It's not a coincidence. It's God. It's no coincidences. You see how specific God is? Now, how many times has God told us to sit here and we don't sit here? Lots. Too many times. What if, what if Moses had said, you know, I'm not going to talk to Pharaoh. You know, my reputation in Egypt is not that good. I'm going to go talk to somebody else. No. Talk to Pharaoh. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? Y'all get where I'm coming Come on, wake up, guys. Come on, man. It's hot in here, but don't worry about that. Let's go. Y'all get it? And I'm preaching now, but I could turn into a coach real fast now. (laughs) 
He says, go see Pharaoh. Then he says, go deliver what? My people. He said, bring my people. He said, my sheep, hear my voice. We spend too much time as Christians trying to determine who's God's people and who's not God's people. Well, he's a Christian. Uh, she's, a, she's not a Christian. I can tell she's not. Ain't no way she's a Christian. But that's not, God didn't ask us to try to figure out. He said, go bring my people out. That's his job to figure out who his people are. You just go get them. You understand? Go get them. Oh, by the way, if you don't know who my people are, the sons of Israel. You see how, you see how, God, how detailed God is? Just in case Moses wanted to play dumb. Well, I didn't, I didn't know God. I didn't know. No, yeah, I told you. The sons of Israel. Oh, I know them. You understand what I'm saying? Go get my people. Then he says, go get my people where? Out of what? Out of Egypt. That might be the, the, the most duh statement in the Bible. Like, duh, of course, out of Egypt. Where else would they be? China? Jamaica? Where? I don't know. Are they, where are they? No, they're in Egypt. The reason why that's so important is because of this. We need to identify the bondage in our life. We need to identify what is keeping us captive. What has us in slavery? You understand? You know, think about this. There are kids, remember, they have been in Egypt for 400 years. All right? There are kids growing up, teenagers, just like y'all, people in their 20s, young people, growing up, Israelite people growing up in Egypt. All they knew was Egypt. They didn't know that they were slaves. They just thought this is how it was. They didn't know any better. They didn't know that they were actually in bondage. But until, they were, until it was identified to them, hey, little bro, you are in bondage. You're a slave. You don't belong here in Egypt. You belong in the promised land. You are a son of God. You don't belong. You, you, you're not supposed to be smoking weed, man. Bondage. There are people in bondage. And they don't even know it. They're behind the gates of hell and they don't know it. That's why it's imperative for us to bust down and go get them and let them know, hey, bro, you in bondage. You got to get out. That's why God sent you. That's why God sent me. That's why you're going to New York. People in bondage over there and they need to see the light. You're it. Do y'all get that? That's why he says Egypt. So you'll know there has to be a recognition and a realization of the condition, the state and the bondage that they're in. You don't know you're free until you know what you're free from. You understand? You just think you walk around like everything is cool. Everything's not cool. You in bad shape right now. You a slave to sin right now. And you need to be set free. And until you identify that, it don't matter. Y'all get what I'm saying? Little brother, you get what I'm saying? Good. We good? Can we move on? Do you see how specific our God is when it comes to your call? See how detailed he is? You see the clear directive he's giving you? Is that clear, man? Is that clear? Can we move on? We good? I, I, hey, we can beat this dead horse, but I want to, it got to wake up, man. The people of God got to wake up. People are going to hell. People are stuck behind the gates, and we're sleeping at the wheel. Talking about, I don't know what God's doing. Man, you talking about what God, 
Go to Egypt, man. Go to Egypt. Y'all get that? All right, here we go. Keep moving. So not only will God empower you, little bro, he will also educate you, and then he'll also do what? He'll equip you. Equip. That means he'll give you all you need. When, 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 when players come to the BC Lions, this is a big day for them, Link. I know you don't know much about football, but this is a big day for them. They come into the locker room, and the first thing we do, after they sign their contract, you got to sign that first. We got to lock them in. But that means you're officially on the team. When you sign your contract, the first thing they say, before you go see the coach, they say, go downstairs, go see the equipment manager. His name is Cato. He's a great guy. He's been there for like 40 years. And he will outfit you. He'll get your helmet, he'll get your shoulder pads, all your pads, you know, your gloves, your shoes, any and all the equipment you need so you can go out and do your job. Before you see the coach, you see the equipment manager. Because if I'm going to ask you to go out there on the battlefield for us, I need to give you the right, what, equipment. And I'm not going to shortchange you either. I'm going to give you everything you need. The Bible says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything you need, you got, bro. If you need gloves, I got you. You got big hands, so you need some big gloves. I got you. You want gloves with pads on it? I got you. You need shoes? I got you. Whatever you need, I got you. You don't like that kind of helmet? You want another kind? Don't worry about it. I got you. I'm going to give him everything he needs so that he can do what? Go out on the field and do his job. God does the exact same thing with us. You think God will call us to go to Egypt and not give us their proper equipment to go to Egypt? That don't make any sense. What kind of God would do that? What kind of coach would I be if I go tell Lincoln to go play football with no helmet? He's crazy. That's rugby, by the way. <laughs> and they're crazy. They're even crazy. You understand? God gives us everything we need. Amen. Let me explain it. Let, let, me, let me show you what I mean. There it is right there. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Moses said, what if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say that the Lord has not appeared to you. Moses still making excuses, Jesse. You see that? Still making excuses. I'm like, come on, man. Like, psh, like smack him. Like, come on. That was in chapter 3. We in chapter 4. He's still making excuses. Come on, dude. But God says this. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? What did he say? A staff. Now, I don't know. I can only imagine how Moses said it. So God said, what's in your hand? A staff. <laughs> or what's in your hand? A staff. <laughs> or what's in your hand? A staff. Y'all see it, right? If God asks you, Jesse, what's in your hand? You'll say, a pencil? A pencil? A pencil? What? You understand what I'm saying? A staff. In other words, God is saying, Moses, I've already given you all you need. What's in your hand? Staff. That's what you got? Use it. Y'all know the story. He throws the staff on the ground at God's command and became a snake. He picked it back up, became a staff. He did some crazy stuff with that staff. That staff was like, what? You know what I mean? That staff was so important they had to put it in the ark. That staff was like crazy. 
All right? What I'm trying to tell you is this. I don't know, bro. I don't know you. What's your name, man? Chris. Have you ever been to uh, 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 seminary? No. You ever been to theology school? Okay. Have you studied Greek and Hebrew? No. What's in your hand? My Bible. That's all you need. Do you have a PhD in Greek studies? Biblical studies? No. Are you pastoral studies in systematic theology, hermeneutics and, and you know, exegesis and all that? Do you know all that? Uh, I know what they mean. You know what they mean. But no. But no. Do you have a story? Uh, yes, I do. Do you know what God has done for you in your life? Yes, I do. Then that's all you need. What's in your hand? A staff. Use it. You understand where I'm coming from? Let me tell y'all something. The most powerful weapon you have is your story. It's your testimony. Tell you something about your friends. They don't know systematic theology either. The people who you're witnessing to, they don't know Greek and Hebrew either. But they know you. They know you. They know the guy you were before and they know the guy you are now. And that's not the same, that's not the same guy. When you used to hang out and do this and do that, and now you, you're a changed man, like, whoa, 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 what happened? They know you. Your story, your testimony is the greatest weapon you have. Take it, use it, go. That's why he says, come now. You understand? Let me tell you something. The world needs to see men and women who are real for Christ. Real for Christ who are willing to share their stories, share anything. Hey, let me tell you something. I used to be addicted to this. Not you. You used to do that? Yes. But God set me free. Really? I could never, I could never see myself. Let me tell you. You, you were divorced? No, not you. Yes. You were a victim of abuse. You abused people. You did that. You did that. Yes. And God set you free. Yes. Who is this God? Your story, your testimony is it. That's all you need. You sit down at Tim Hortons with somebody. They want the coffee and your story. Give it to them. You understand? Now, eventually... If you go to seminary and learn out all that other stuff, that's awesome. That's great. You get more tools, more understanding, more wisdom, more knowledge. But don't ever let that supersede the essential thing, the staff in your hand. You get where I'm coming from? That makes sense, y'all? Equipment. That's your equipment. I'll tell you something else. I'm so glad. Here's, here's the deal. Here's the story behind that. Here's the story behind that. If you look at John 9, 25, it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Like, this, this is the one right here. This dude, here's the story. So they were walking down the street, Jesus and his disciples, and there's a dude that's blind, all right? Blind, just couldn't see nothing. Blind. And the disciples, like, the disciples always tried to make themselves feel important. Is it Jesus? Uh, this man is blind. Was it the sins of his parents or his sins that made him blind? Come on, really? They throwing stones like that. And Jesus said, hey, man, it wasn't the parents, it wasn't him. He's blind so that I can receive glory. What? You mean my blindness can, 
glorify God? Yes, it will. Watch. You mean my shortcoming can glorify God? Yes, it will. Watch. So Jesus, what did Jesus do? He spit on the ground, made mud. Must have been a lot of spit. But he made mud. (laughs) Jesus' spit healed people. How awesome is that guy, huh? He spit on the ground, made mud, put mud on the man's eye. The man had to go wash his eyes out in the pool, whatever, down the street. And all of a sudden, he could do what? He could see. He comes up to the religious leaders who didn't like Jesus at all, and they're mad at Jesus because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus told you to wash your eyes out. It's Sabbath day. You're not supposed to wash your eyes out on Sabbath day. This Jesus must be a sinner because he's telling you to break the law. And this man responds to them in the most straightforward, blatant, innocent, this Jesus moment verse in the Bible. He says, let me tell y'all something. This is how, if I was to do, this is how I would talk. Let me tell you something, little man. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Let me tell you something. I don't know everything in the world. I don't know everything about Jesus. I may not be able to argue down or argue up, or I may not know apologetics, this, that, and the other. I know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. My life was going to hell. I was in hell, stuck behind the gates. And now I'm free. That's what I know. The salvation we have is not a feeling. It is fact. It's fact. It's fact. Not alternative facts. Facts. You understand? It's black and white, man. Know the sun, don't know the sun. That's it. Y'all get that? Salvation is not a feeling. It's a fact. You knowing Jesus is a fact. It's not a feeling. You understand? Oh, I feel good today. Jesus must be good. Oh, I feel bad today. Jesus, I hate him. You understand? It's a fact. It says this. Next one, man. Next, next slide. It says, this. and the testimony is, that, is this, that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his son. Period. Where's the life? In his son. You just read it. It's right there. If you want life, go where? To 7-Eleven? No. Go to the doctor? No. Go where? To the son. All right. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Hello? Can it get any simpler than that? And then just to make sure we got it. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, that you have eternal life. Bro, you know, you, you can know right now you can have eternal life. You can know right now, there's very many you know, that if the bus were to come through this window and kill you, you know right now I'm going to be with Jesus. You understand? I flew in a plane yesterday, coming back from Regina. The thing was like this, and I was like, oh, hold on now. But I knew right now, I knew if that plane dropped out of the sky and I died, I knew instantly I'll be with the Lord. I know that. You can have that same knowledge. You can have that same assurance. Let's speed this up. Let's go. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul is talking to 
Christians, not even non-Christians. He's talking to Christians, and he tells Christians to do what? To put on the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet of salvation, to me, looks like that. Because I'm a football. Your helmet may look like something else. I don't know. We got different helmets, by the way, because we would have a hard time, you know. But the helmet is the helmet, though. Right, bro? Right on. Here's why, here's why Paul said the helmet of salvation. Put it on. My brothers and my sisters, Christians, 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 put on your helmet of salvation. Here's the reason why. In, in those times, in the Roman times, the Roman cavalrymen, the guys who rode on the horses, they gave them swords. It got some fancy Latin name, about 10 letters long. But the sword was about four feet long. And they would pull out this sword. It was a double-edged sword. So it didn't matter which way they hit you, you were getting hurt. Big, heavy sword. They would pull it out. And because they were on horses, they're already taller than you. And when they would come with this sword, they would aim for the head. They would be trying to chop your head off or try to split you in two. The enemy, Satan himself, when he attacks Christians, he attacks their to make you doubt to make you disencouraged. He'll bring up all that old stuff you used to do. He'll try to take you back to Egypt. You remember when you used to do this? You remember you still got issues with this? You still working through this? Are you really saved? God must not really love you. How can a God love you when you did this? How can a God love you when you still battling with this? How can God love you? Do you see him attacking your head? That's why you need to have on your helmet that says, listen, I know my God loves me. Shut up, Satan. Yeah, I know. I'm working through some stuff. That's okay. I'm working through it, but I'm saved. Get up off me. You understand? You get what I'm saying, bro? God will equip you. See the equipment you got? You got it. You got it. You already got it. Go use it. You understand? Last but not least, so we can get out of here. Last but not least. Not only will God empower, educate, and equip you, he will also energize you. Energize you. Wow. Let's look at it. Exodus 7, 7 says this. Moses was what? 80 years old. Aaron was what? 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Are you serious? You mean they started their mission. They started fulfilling the call of God on their life when they were 80. Are you 80? Not even close. You're getting close. Guess what? It's time to get busy. It's time to get busy. It's time to get busy. My dad is 81. He just turned 81. I'm like, Pop, all right, here we go. You just getting started. Look at Abraham. He got busy for real. Late. Late. It's never too late, Link. It's never too late for you to learn about football. <laughs> Do y'all get this? This man was 80, 83. We have no excuse. How old are you, bro? You have no excuse. Get busy now. We read that verse a few minutes ago, right? Therefore, come now. Get busy now. How old are you, bro? Six. Oh, you fresh now. How old is that little one there? 
four months. Hey, little four months, get busy now. <laughs> After you wake up. <laughs> Y'all get it? You get it? But I'm, I'm retired. I've been working for 50 years, and now I'm trying to put my feet up. Nope. It's time to get busy now. Just imagine this. There are people who are 80, 90 years old who still don't know Jesus. You can relate to them, but I bet they can relate to them. There are people who are 16 years old who don't know Jesus. They can relate to them, but I bet you really can relate to them. You understand what I'm saying? That's why you got to get busy now. God has given us all we need. He's empowered you. He's given you a call. You think that that call is too big for you. You think, oh, why would I do? Why would I apply to a school in New York? I live in B.C. Why would I do that? God says, I got a plan for you. If he can bring me from Washington, D.C. to Vancouver, he can bring you from Vancouver to New York. Pack a coat because it's cold over there. Okay. <laughs> Y'all get that? God will empower you guys. He'll empower all of us. He will educate you directly on clearly what he wants you to do. At the same time, he will give you all the equipment that you need. And he will give you the energy every day to get up and do it. Every day to get up and do it. Amen? Amen? Can we pray? This is what I want to pray for. I want to pray for two people here, two groups of people. I want to pray first for the person who doesn't know Jesus. For the person, literally speaking, literally speaking, the person is still standing behind the gates of hell. And today has been an attempt to break down those gates to bring you out. I'm going to pray that you be brought out today. God said, come now. If you don't know Jesus, come now. That's the first group. The second group we'll pray for are those of us who already know Jesus. We're already saved. We're already Christians. But yet we sort of like Moses, we're walking around in the desert sort of aimlessly. And we haven't seen our burning bush yet. God, what do you want me to do? What is the call that you have on my life? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I pray for a clear direction for your life. I pray that God will, in his own way, in his own way, don't be looking for burning bushes. God already did that. He wants something unique for you. He'll call you, Lincoln. Say, Lincoln, I want you to play the piano. I want you to sing. I want you to, you understand what I'm saying? Mark, I want you to coach. Man, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. You understand? So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I pray for that lost soul, literally lost soul, a soul that is, Lord God, if they were to die right now, Lord Jesus, Oh, my Lord. Lord Jesus, they will be, they're condemned already. They're condemned. They stand behind the gates of hell, Lord Jesus. But, Lord God, you brought them here today so that they can hear your message. And so that now they can make a decision and say, oh, I'm ready to get out of this bondage that I'm in. Lord God, I pray that you will free them. We know you will free them from their sin, Lord Jesus. We know, Lord God, that you excuse them from the penalty of their sin because you already carried out that penalty on your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that that person will come to know you, Lord God, that they will be even so bold to stand up and say, hey, I don't know Jesus and I want to know him right now. I invite you right now. If you know you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, 
If you want to go from death to life, if you want to go from behind the gates to in front of the gates so that you can be free, if you want to get out of Egypt, you can be out of Egypt right now. Right now. Come know Jesus right now. You can do it. You know what? I even say this. Come on up to the front. We will pray with you through it. You can do that right now. Somebody did it for me. Somebody prayed for me. Somebody was patient with me. I could do the same for you. I got to. It's my job. Lord God, complete the work in their life. Lord God, call them out of darkness to live in your light, Lord God. Surrender to Jesus right now. I invite you to come. I invite you to come. Now, Lord God, we want to pray for the second group. Those of us who know you already, but Lord God, we we don't quite know what you want us to do. We don't know the calling that you have on our life. We're not quite clear of what's going on in our life. Lord God, I pray for direction for them. I pray, Lord God, that they will have an encounter with you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would change their mind, change their thinking, change, give them vision, Lord God to understand what you have called them to do, oh God. Lord Jesus, we don't want to waste any more time in our life. Whether I'm 16 or 22 or 80 years old, Lord God, I'm ready to get busy living for you. Lord Jesus, bless our friends, bless our brothers and sisters. May we know the call that God has on our lives and may we live it out for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.